This week on Across the Peak, Rich and I are going to tell you how to do one of those most basic of life skills, how to change a tire. Welcome to the Across the Peak podcast, the show where Rich and Justin discuss preparedness, the birds and the bees, guns, history, tattoos, and well, basically all the stuff your old man should have taught you. Rich Brown's a failed 70s child actor, retired Marine Corps officer, and former cop. Justin Carroll, he's a washed up former special operator, half-assed author, and adventurer at large. Learn life skills, harden the fuck up, and become a dangerous man. Get your damn boots on, gents, because we're going across the peak. Rich, what's going on, buddy? Another day in beautiful Tennessee, my friend. I hear that, man. I hear that. What do you happen to be drinking today? Oh my God, you've caught me unarmed. Oh no. Let me tell you what I'm going to be drinking later. I've got a new uh, bottle of scotch. Uh, actually, it's a Johnny Walker Black Label. I've never, you know, I'm a peated scotch guy, but I, uh, my local uh, liquor store has a little tasting bar, and they had that. I thought it was pretty good. had a nice oily, viscous quality to it, and uh, I'm enjoying it, actually. 12-year Johnny Walker. I have no idea what any of that means. Uh, I did try a little bit of your smoky scotch uh, the last time I was down there in Tennessee. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I might have to try it. A, 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 I might have to shop that around a little bit. I, I don't think it immediately uh, appealed to me as uh, as much as maybe it should have. Well, I'll tell you what, man. If I ever take you to Scotland with me and you see the peat bogs and Something will click, and you'll get into it. Yeah, maybe that's what it is, man. Maybe it requires the uh, the the whole experience, the whole uh, a holistic kind of situation to to for, for that to really kick in. Because I'll be honest with you, man. Just taste the, tasting the scotch, it's it's not bad, but it's I I don't know, man. It's just not my just not quite my bag. So I'm having a beer right now. I am having a beer from. Uh, Oscar Blues called Death by Coconut. It's a coconut porter, and man, I am just tearing these things up. They're so good. Yeah, you brought one of those to my house, didn't you? Yeah. Um, I mean, that yeah, it was probably six months ago, and I just happened to... I think it's a seasonal. I don't think that thing's even on the shelf right now. I just happened to uh, to run across some of it. One little four-pack of it sitting all by itself uh, in the... <laughs> in the back of the shelf there, and I snag that up right quick. Yeah, and uh, that's, that is delicious stuff. And I'll just to circle back on the scotch for just a quick second. One of the things that uh, is not on the Rick Steves to-do list when you're in Edinburgh is the Scottish whiskey experience. As a matter of fact, he's he basically says, don't go there. It's, it's touristy and blah, blah, blah. But I will tell you, I had been a bourbon drinker. And went to Scotland like, eh, I've tried scotch. It's not my bag. We ended up going to the Scottish Whiskey Experience anyway while we were in Edinburgh because it's right next to the castle. Absolutely loved it and got a new appreciation for scotch because they, they help you to figure out how to taste it correctly and really enjoy it and appreciate it. So <clears throat> it's one of those things like we talked about, I believe, is on our first episode where here you've got this guy who's a travel specialist who gives his advice and once you know and and on that instance I love Rick Steves and his products but I think he's dead wrong you know it was a great experience 
I, that, that's kind of the weird thing. I was uh, I was reading an article about Anthony Bourdain today, and they were talking about how when his book Kitchen Con- Confidential kind of hit the big time. I don't know if you read that. It's a it's a really entertaining read. But they were talking about when that book came out, he had just a couple little lines in there about don't order fish on Mondays because the you know the fish guy is going to show up on Thursday or Friday, and that's three day old fish you're getting on Monday. And he said the article said that based off that one thing restaurants across the country it took them 10 years to be able to sell fish anytime from sunday to tuesday uh, because of that one little thing so and and probably a lot of good fish meals went to waste because of that but um or, or the the market adapted to it or whatever but yeah it's it's funny how a simple little thing like that can uh can can create its own kind of zeitgeist where maybe a lot of people didn't do that and it changed the nature of it or, or maybe not, maybe it was good. And, uh, and it just didn't, uh, suit his fancy for whatever reason. Well, it's, it's always funny where the law of unintended consequences will take us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely, man. It, it can create its own phenomena, like something like that. Just some, uh, one little thing like that can create its own effects. Uh, butterfly effect kind of situation or, or whatever the case may be. I, that, I find that absolutely fascinating. And I wonder if that had anything to do with, uh, with your scotch experience. Yeah. Who knows? But I, I was talking about that. I, as you were telling that Anthony Bourdain story, I was trying to remember, we I just had this conversation with somebody the other day. There was something that someone said, Oh, by the way, don't do that. Never gave the reason for it. And now everyone's trying to figure out why were we not supposed to do that? I mean, there's a couple of things in jujitsu that are like that. You know, the, our professor will roll through town and say, you know, when you're, you're taking someone's back, always, if you're going to take them to the ground afterwards, go to the strong side or the weak side. And, and then he leaves and everybody's like, why did he say we only go to the weak side when we take somebody to the ground? And of course, nobody can remember. So I have to wait six months till the guy rolls back through town. And there was probably a reason for it uh, at, at some point. Probably probably there's a good reason for it, but also maybe there's not. As you and I both know, there's a lot of stuff like that, uh, especially in the firearms training community. Somebody would be like, never do this, and it just becomes ingrained, and, and nobody stops to ask the question why. And when somebody finally does, it kind of changes the game up a little bit. But anyway, um, should we go ahead and jump into today's main topic? Yeah, man, we got a great show today, and one that in the 21st century is is getting somewhat antiquated, uh, oddly enough. But it's a skill that really you're probably going to need at some point or another, right? Yeah, definitely, man. And I I feel almost a little I, correction. I would feel a little silly doing this episode, but um, I, I'm going to relate a couple of personal experiences here. So recently, I was staying with a uh, with a special lady friend of mine that not a special lady friend. I was staying with my sister, uh, on an overnight I'd stopped in and I was hanging around for the next morning before I hit the road again and got a call from her as soon as she left for work. Hey, can you come to so-and-so, uh, road? I, I've got a flat tire. And I just hopped in the truck and headed over there, not really thinking much about it. Uh, and I, I, I got there and I was like, well, what, what's wrong? You do you not have do you not have tools? Uh, do you not have a spare? What's what's? And she's like, well, I don't know. I I have a, I have a flat. That that's what I do when I have a flat. As I call somebody, and I said, well, uh, if you need anything, let me know. But uh, this seems like an awesome learning experience. Uh, 
no better time. You're early. Uh, you're, you, you know, you, you work in a place where you don't have to wear super nice clothes. It's not raining. There's no better time to learn how to change a tire than right now. And, uh, I, I didn't leave her sitting on the side of the road. I helped her out, but I, I definitely didn't do it for her. And the other situation I saw recently is, uh, a friend of mine on his way to work, he was telling me this story, got a flat tire and called triple a. And I don't know what to think about that, man. Well, calling triple a, <laughs> uh, well, uh, I think the reason he called, uh, he called triple a is he had no idea mm. how to change a tire. Yeah, that's bad. Now I, I tell you that what's funny about that. The last time I had a flat, um, me and my uh, friend Mike Seeklander, we'd flown. We had a trained a military group, so my, you know, car had been at the airport for a week or so. I flew back in. I got in my car, and man, I had driven five miles from the Nashville airport heading back here, and I get this massive blowout. And I pull off the road, and I go to get underneath the truck to pull the tire down. And guess what? It when I get it out, it's flat. I'm like, crap. So, again, it was one of those things where it was uh, really flat, and I had to, uh, I had AAA. I mean, I pay $60 a year or whatever it is, and I call them, and they come out and repair it in no time flat. But I felt so stupid, and that's, you know, some of the stuff we're going to talk about today is some of the ways that if I had been better prepared, I could have persevered even though I did have a flat uh, spare, right? Yeah, and you and I both know, you and I have been to places where there isn't always phone service where you can call AAA, or AAA will be an hour and 40 minutes away, and you just save yourself a lot of heartache by being able to do that for yourself instead of having to rely on somebody else to do it, which gets back to being competent, not having to rely on someone else to take care of you for every little thing. And I've had, uh, in the last, I don't know, 10 years that I can remember, I've had two flat tires and both of them have been worst possible case scenario in rental cars where I could apply very little of the just kind of being ready for a flat tire advice that we're going to dispense with today. Well, and you know, uh, I think, did you tell your flat tire uh, story that you had in combat on another show? Oh, yeah, maybe I did tell that. I, I, I can't remember if I told that or it not. It bears repeating if you haven't. Yeah, so uh, this was uh, this was in Iraq in 2004, the first time I ever left the wire. We were heading out to do, uh, to do a raid, and I don't know, we probably had an hour planned on the road from leaving the gate to being on target, and about five minutes out of the gate, man, my vehicle that I was driving just started shaking around like crazy and I knew something was wrong. Uh, so, you know, got on the radio, stopped the whole, the whole, uh, convoy, the whole vehicle serial, uh, got out, checked on that thing. And this is, this is a, a like very, very early in our deployment. This is a few weeks, two or three weeks into it. Um, not very long at all. And one of the first mounted operations that we had done and we had zero plan, zero, like, we had spare tires, but that's about as far as it went. We had not rehearsed changing tires. We had not, you know, gone down to the motor pool and gotten a class on these are the ins and outs of Humvee tires and whatever you need. So it was just assumed, like, oh, uh, Justin will change the tire on his vehicle and we'll get back on the road. So jacking this thing up, this is an armored Humvee with I don't know how many pounds of armor on it. It took forever to get it jacked up. Uh, these tires are big and heavy. 
And we probably, I did that whole thing by myself. I was sweating my face off by the time I was done. And it took us probably from the time we stopped until the time those vehicles uh, started moving down the road again, I would say probably 45 minutes, maybe an hour to get that vehicle back up because no one in that, no one in that entire platoon had any idea what went into that or how long it took. The threads are really long on those Humvee tires. There's, I think, eight of them. Uh, it took forever. Um, so guess what we were doing the next day? Oh, yeah, some training. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Making sure we knew how many people it took to change a tire, how, like, how many people it took to do it efficiently without getting in the way, uh, how many people were too many, what needed to be done, where all the tools were, what vehicles had the spare tires, all that good stuff. Yeah, there's, there was no more of the, uh, yeah, we're just going to leave it to the chances again. And, that, and, and that's what we want our listeners to not do is not just leave it to chance. So go ahead. No, man, I was, I'm just going to totally agree with you, bro. We don't want to, that's, that's what we don't want to do. Yeah, so first things first, uh, I think you need to be ready to change a tire. You don't know when it's going to happen. It could happen at 2 in the morning when you've just flown back to the Nashville airport. It could happen when you're on your way to work. It could happen Could happen anytime. Um, even, you know, even if you don't have nails in your driveway, you don't know where you've driven uh, all day long. And when that thing comes out... Um, Guess what? So uh, for, I would say first thing, you need to know where your stuff is. And this isn't as easy as maybe as it, it was when I was a kid when everything was in the trunk. Uh, now this stuff is hidden all over the vehicle. And and if nothing else, once you're, I assume people are listening to this driving down the road, but once you get to wherever you're going and have five minutes, pull out that owner's manual and find out where your jack is Find out what you need to do to get that spare spare tire because sometimes you need a tool just to release that tire, especially on pickups where it's under the vehicle. There's a big long rod you got to insert through something and made up with something else and unwind it and all this crazy stuff. Make sure you know where all those things are and make sure you know kind of how it works. Um, I, I would suggest maybe this weekend go through a dry run, drop that spare tire. And there's some other stuff you can do while you've got it out that we'll talk about later, but know where that stuff is and, and know how to use it. Yeah. And, and on that, uh, on that topic, man, I, I think that doing the dry run, I know it sounds like, eh, I don't know if I really want to do that. Take the 30 minutes to do the dry run, drop the tire down underneath your truck. If you've never done it before, you're going to, now's the time to fumble around and figure it out. Not when you're on the side of the road with 18-wheelers slinging past you at you know, breakneck speeds or when you're out off-road, you know, make it even worse. Uh, because we cannot rely on on the, that the phone's always going to work. Because like you said, man, a lot of times it isn't. Yeah, and if, if you're in a snowstorm, if you're in some sort of inclement weather, it, it, AAA might not be able to get to you. They might be swamped with other stuff. Like, the this this stuff doesn't always work. And that's really what we're about on here is not relying on other people to take care of you, taking care of yourself as far as you possibly can. Um, the other thing going through that dry run is going to identify that, uh, what kind of working order your stuff is in. And sometimes stuff might not be the best possible stuff you can have. Usually it is just enough that that manufacturer can get by and say, yeah, we put a spare tire in there and, or, or we, we gave them some mechanism to self-recover. Usually it's not the absolute best equipment. And to your point, you're 
your spare tire was flat, and that's definitely not where you want to find yourself. No, but it's totally my fault. And speaking of not where you want to find yourself, when you were telling your Humvee uh, story, it reminded me of a Humvee story of my own. Uh, I was driving some VIPs, and we were in the Negev Desert in Israel as part of um, Operation Noble Shirley. You can Google it. It's, it's nothing secret. It's a, a military exercise we do every single year with the Israeli Defense Forces. But so I was driving these folks around, and we were going to watch this uh, night tow shoot, which um, is a tow stands for like tat, is it tactically operated wire guided system. Yeah, tube long, whatever. It, it's a, it kills tanks. That's all you need to know. So we were going to watch these uh, toes shoot and strike some old Egyptian tanks that were still sitting in the desert from the, the Egyptian war. And um, we got, I was following directions from somebody who outranked me uh, tremendously, and they got us lost. So in the desert, as I'm driving down this old tank trail or whatever, we strike something, and it ended up ripping a part of the engine out, and oil just gushed everywhere, and the engine was out of commission. Well, of course, as luck would have it, we can't get nobody on the radio, and then all of a sudden, somebody goes, I think we might be in the impact area. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go. Some tow gunner is going to be like, are you serious? I get to shoot anything in the impact area? And he's going to be looking at our Humvee, right? So... um Long story short, we got a hold of somebody on the net in EOD, uh, Explosive Ordnance Disposal, strapped our Humvee to theirs and drug us out of the desert. But as it turned out, Justin, all that had happened was it didn't rip out a lot of the engine. All it did was slice the uh, oil filter in half. So if I'd have had another oil filter and uh, you know another quart of oil, we would have probably been fine. I'd have screwed that on put a little bit of oil that we in, that we lost and been able to, you know, driven it out. But, you know, it's one of those things, man, where do you stop on your preparation? How much is too much? You know, where's that fine line? How do you decide? Well, that, that's a really good question. And I try to cover down on the things that will happen eventually, uh, like a flat tire. A flat tire will happen. If you drive long enough, There, there's no doubt about it. Your tires take a tremendous amount of, bu- of abuse as you drive around from day to day. And it's, man, it's a miracle of modern science that there aren't more flat tires. When you look at some of the, some of the just terrible roads, um, I mean, I've lived in New England and the roads up there are just garbage. And, you, you know, you're hitting these potholes at 40 miles an hour and you're like, man, how, how in the world does that not just destroy a tire? Um, but that, that absolutely will happen. Uh, if, if I run over something that's going to, <laughs> going to slice my oil filter in half, um, pro- I'll be honest, probably I have bigger problems and, uh, you know, back to the 80, 20 principle, what's the 20% of stuff you can have to get you through 80% of stuff you're likely to face. And we'll, we'll talk about the, the stuff you should have in your car, uh, in, in a future episode, that's definitely one that I want to get to. Um, I, don't, I don't think you need a year's worth of food and an AR-15 in your car necessarily, but uh, we we will definitely address that. But stuff to keep your vehicle on four inflated tires, you should probably probably have in there. Probably probably keep around. And part of that too is you were talking about you know the the tires take a beating, and I remember my grandfather who grew up in the Depression. And even my dad, you know, who's in his mid-70s, you know, they would say back in the day, man, that the quality of the roads and the quality of the tires were such that 
you know, almost once a month or so, it seems like you were changing a tire on the side of the road. He said, you used to see people all the time, everywhere, changing tires on the side of the road. It's just something that you did as part of your day-to-day thing. Uh, but now the quality of the roads and the quality of the tires are such that a lot of people are like your sister. I don't know what to do. I haven't been in this position before. Who do I call? Well, you don't call anybody. You you change your damn tire. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so my, my recommendation here at this point, uh, let's just clarify this, is take 30 minutes on your Saturday, your Sunday, uh, your whatever day you get off early. Go through your car, find your tire changing tools, uh, pull that spare tire out, check the air pressure in it, just visually inspect it and make sure it hasn't been used already and it's not it's not already already all worn down, especially if it's one of those little uh, little donut tires that temporary tires. Make sure that thing's in good working order. Uh, make sure your jack works. Make sure it'll actually lift your car and it's not rusted shut. Uh, I've seen that too on really old cars. Those jacks will sit in there in some hidden compartment in the trunk. And be just a pile of rust when you pull that thing out, and that's that's also not what you want. So, let's talk about actually changing a tire. What uh, what? Well, uh, you would know what what is it? How do you know you got a flat tire other than just walking up to your car and seeing that it's flat? Brother, one of the things that uh, happened to me one time, I was driving back from Camp Lejeune, crossing the the Smoky Mountains. You know, you know how it is when you take a swoop on the weekends when you're in the military, and the the Rear tire, my brother's car blew out. And next thing you know, we're kind of fishtailing and stuff going down Interstate 40. So that's how I knew we had a, a blowout. But, uh, you know, I don't know, man. That That's kind of it for me. I've always been able to tell when the tire's going flat. You'll know it pretty damn quick. Yeah, you'll know it. You're going to get some uh, You're gonna get some noise. If it's on the front, you're definitely going to experience a big change in the responsiveness of the steering. It's going to be harder to... Uh, Harder to steer, harder to steer the vehicle, um, and and you're probably going to get some uh, tactile feedback as well. The vehicle's eh, it, it varies a little bit, like a little tendency to kind of vibrate or um, uh, I, I like you say you will absolutely know it if you've got it. So first things first, I would say take care of your own safety, especially if you're on the interstate or or some major high speed uh, high speed road with like you said, 18 wheelers blasting by at 75 miles an hour. Make sure you're safe. Find a safe place to stop. Uh, you know, probably as soon as you recognize you have a flat, put your hazards on. Start looking for a safe place to stop where you can get sufficiently off the road uh, that you have a little bit of, of margin for error from being hit by a speeding vehicle. Hey, on that topic, when I was 16 years old working my first job, I worked at McDonald's. And um, I remember one of my buddies, you know, was late to show up to work. Another kid that I went to school with. And we're like, you know, where's, I, I can't remember his name now. I'm ashamed to say it. But uh, this was, what, 32 years ago. Like, where's Chris? Where's Chris? Where, why is he late? He's never late. And then somebody came in and said, you know, Chris had a flat. He didn't pull off far enough. And he got hit on uh, Interstate 24 there in Middle Tennessee. And uh, killed, and his young life was over. And what amazes me when I see this is people will be like, well, I don't want to tear the rim up by driving it too far. I'm like, man, that rim is worth a 100 bucks, if that. If you bend it up or tear it up, who cares? You can replace that. You cannot replace yourself. You've got to get somewhere where you're safe, even if it means permanently damaging the rim. Would you agree with that? 
one hundred percent that that rim is <laughs> you can replace that thing all day long. Just that that you took the words right out of my mouth as you were saying that. Absolutely that rim is not not worth your life or serious injury or or anything else. So man, get sufficiently off the road. Don't I see people all the time, man, that will pull off uh, in a on a shoulder that has a guardrail where I know they're not two or three feet off the uh, white line there. And that's, man, that scares me to death. Well, it's like drive another 500 yards where the guardrail ends and, and the shoulder opens back up again. It's like you do not have to stop here. You know, if, if there's an exit a mile down the road, you know, drive on the shoulder with your hazards on and get off where you can get somewhere completely safe. That's my yeah, opinion. Yeah, you're... You're much safer in that car than you are out of it, even if it's moving slowly. Like you said, put your hazards on and uh, yeah, get to a safe place. I, I, I can't hammer that enough, man, because that, that's, like, that's why uh, a lot of your highway patrolmen will now come around to the passenger side of the vehicle. They used to get hit all the time. Well, and when I was a police officer, I remember I changed on two different occasions. I changed tires for women that were broke down the side of the road. And the first thing I did was get my lights on, you know, create a safe buffer between them and the thing and get them back in the car and have them drive and get way off the road because they had stopped in a completely unsafe manner. And I'm like, no, let's get you. Matter of fact, drive the extra mile. We're going to pull into this, you know, uh, uh, what, what do you call it? A shopping mall, and I'll change the tire for you there. How does that sound? You know, and they're like, heck yeah. So, if you have any kind of other safety equipment, flares or reflective triangles or something like that, uh, if you have to, if you have no choice but to do this on the side of that high speed road, put those things out and you got to space those things appropriately. And you got to, you got to think about this from the vantage point of vehicles that are moving. 60 65 70 miles an hour you can't think about this in the in the like distance that you're walking because now you're looking at things at a completely different scale and i saw this recently too actually probably in the last week and a half i saw this i don't wish i remembered where i was but it was a guy that had actually pulled to the center shoulder uh, where there were jersey barriers blocking how far he could go there and he had put out flares and they were spaced probably 20 feet apart there were three of them, but if you think about how fast those vehicles are moving toward those flares, they probably pass all three of them in, in under a second, in probably half a second. You have got to move a pretty significant distance in spacing each one of these things out for them to actually have any kind of meaningful impact at all. Would you disagree with that? No, not at all, man. I, they're always going to be spaced twice as far as you think they should. Uh, and I went to the OSHA training, and I can't remember how far they got to be spaced out, but I remember it was some uh, crazy distance, like 500 yards or something like that. It was just like, wow, really? Uh, but like you said, when you're traveling that speed, you're covering that distance so darn fast, uh, it gives them the time to get out of your way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you want to give people a good long heads up before they're anywhere close to you. So, uh, all right, so we've gotten to a safe place. We've got our hazard lights on. If we've got our flares or triangles or whatever, we've got those things out. We're, we're doing all we can to protect ourselves. Uh, now it's time to get out and actually take that tire off. So before you jack this thing up, and this is a key takeaway from this episode, if you've never changed a tire or if you've never had a class on it or something, 
you want to get that tire iron and you want to break that initial tension on those lug nuts before you start to jack that car up. And, that, and depending on your car, that might mean you have to take some sort of hub cap off or something like that. But those actual lug nuts that hold the tire onto the, onto the uh, hub of that axle, you want to break that initial tension first. You don't want to get the car up in the air and then have to make these really hard, strong movements with that car precariously balanced on that jack. You want to do that while the car is still on the ground. Um, and that might require quite a bit of force. Yeah, one of the things, uh, I don't know if this is right or not, Justin, you're, you're the expert on this, but I mean, I've seen many times where I've actually had to stand on the uh, the uh, braking bar to actually get the, the nuts broke loose. Have you ever had to do that before? I don't, I don't think I've had to do that, but I can easily imagine. I can, like, it's not hard to imagine at all. Those things get very, very tight because if you think about the weight and the, the forces that are exerted on those things, any amount of looseness will uh, basically cause that tire to be out of, out of perfect alignment with that hub potentially, which is going to cause wobbling, which is just going to further exacerbate that whole thing. And it's probably going to end, probably going to end pretty badly. Um, so, and this is a good plug for an upgraded, um, lug wrench instead of just going with that one that came from the factory that's made out of cheap pot metal and is 14 inches long and isn't really going to break anything if you need any kind of additional force uh we'll we'll put some links in the show notes to uh some good examples of of kind of upgraded tire changing equipment uh so next thing you need to do once you break those nuts is get that jack under the car and an important thing here is understand how your jack works uh, a lot of cars are coming with scissor jacks now, which are basically four folded pieces of metal with a big screw in the middle that as you turn the the little jacking mechanism, it squeezes those things together and lifts the car up. Uh, those might require some clearance to operate. They might require a, a decent amount of space around them. Um, so you want to know how it works. You also want to make sure that jack is interacting with something on the frame of that car that's a, not going to slide off because that's probably going to fall on you and, and cause a really bad situation. Uh, or if it's not on something solid, it's going to potentially damage your car. You don't want to put that thing under the gas tank and start jacking up because it's going to crumple your tank or, or what I'm, I'm being kind of silly, but you want to find somewhere that that jack is actually intended to interact with before you start cranking that thing up. Now, I don't think you're being a silly at all, man. I've, I've seen it happen. As a matter of fact, um, a buddy of mine used to restore old Austin Healy's, and you know they have jack points on the sides of the car. Have you ever seen these? I have not. I don't even know what that is. An, an old, it's an old British Austin Healy, like in the 50s and 60s. They had uh, holes on the side of the car that you would stick the, the jack into, and you crank into that hole, and the jack comes down. It's already built and integrated oh, into the car. Gotcha. I mean, it's That's like pretty neat. It was built into the frame, so there's no thinking about it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And and a lot of modern cars now will have like basically a little ball and detent. There'll be a little detent in the frame that a ball f- like built into the top of that jack will align with. So, excuse me. So you know exactly where that thing's supposed to go, and it gets a little bit of purchase. The other thing you might want to be aware of with a jack is if you're on pavement, a jack's probably going to work just fine. But what's going to happen, Rich, if you happen to be on grass, especially if it's been raining and everything's soggy? 
it's going to sink in, man. I've even seen it sink in on soft asphalt if it's real hot. Actually, yeah, actually I have too. So a a really easy way to deal with that is to carry some sort of, some sort of portable surface that you can set that jack on. It doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take, you don't have to carry a concrete pad around. Basically, uh, if, if, if you've got some scraps from, I'm going to say from some two by sixes, two by eights, like a, a foot long scrap of a, a two by eight that you can put that jack on, or maybe some, you know, a, a one foot square of, um, I, I'll even say maybe a eight by eight, eight inch by eight inch square of three quarter inch plywood. That's probably going to give that thing enough, um, support to actually lift the car up without sinking into the ground. You basically just need to distribute that force a little bit instead of having it all go into that very concentrated point. But that can definitely screw you up if you're not prepared to deal with that. That's a solid recommendation. My my grandfather, uh, you know, he was really big on, on carrying those with him because he had an 18-wheeler, and, and you're talking about putting a lot of weight when you had to change a tire on one of those things. Yeah, yeah, you better. I, I Man, I can't... Well, it, what exactly did he carry for that? How how big was his uh, support? He carried a four by four, a sawed off piece of four by four that could be used as a scotch or used for that capacity as well. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's a good idea. So, um, yeah, get the get the car jacked up, uh, get it up in the air, and then at that point you can actually go ahead and loosen the rest of those uh, the rest of those lug nuts and take them off. And at this point, I'd be remiss. Again, I'm going to sound a little silly, but I have seen it happen. Put those things somewhere you won't lose them. Uh, it, it's natural tendency. You're on the side of the road. You're in a hurry. You just want to set them down somewhere. You set them down in the in the grass or in the dirt there, and then you get up to go get the spare tire, and you kick them and can't find them. You don't want to drive off with that car with any less than a full complement of lug nuts holding that tire on. Uh, remember, you're... We don't think about it because we get in cars every day and drive, but we don't think about the tremendous forces that are exerted on these parts as we're driving down the highway at 60 miles per hour. So don't lose those things. Put them in your pocket. Put them a, a common thing when hubcaps were really common. You turn the hubcap over and you put your lug nuts in there and put it somewhere it won't get kicked, but don't lose them. Well, and on that topic, man, the, um, are, are you familiar with a lug nut key? Oh man, yeah. I don't know. I a don't know how I missed uh, missed this in our outline, bro. I had a Jeep that had those on there, and uh, I mean, I had to carry that thing everywhere with me. Or you are not getting them off. You want to explain that to our listeners? Yeah. So that's a little security feature. Basically, the exterior of that one. Usually, it's one lug nut per wheel. The exterior is perfectly smooth and round, so you can't get a purchase on that with anything. You can put any tire iron you want in there, and it's not going to grip onto it. Instead, they basically cut into the face of it uh, kind of a unique, usually it's kind of a star pattern looking thing, and you have to have a specific driver that fits over that and goes actually inside that lug nut rather than just around the outside of it. And that normally that driver will fit into your tire iron or whatever, but yeah, if you don't have that, man, you are not getting that thing off. So make sure I had that same thing on a couple of cars that I've had. And usually, usually I've just let, left the little key in the package in the, you know, in the toolbox or in the trunk or, or whatever I happen to have. And if I take my vehicle in for service and they need to rotate the tires or whatever, I've, I've, I've got it right there. There's not a, 
it's not big. It doesn't take up a lot of space. There's there's not a good reason really to take it out of your vehicle. Exactly. Yeah. Man, I'm, I'm glad you said something about that because yeah, if you if you have a vehicle that has locking lug nuts, you need to know where that thing is. Or uh, in that case, AAA might not even be able to help you. Yeah, and one time I had. Um... We were down in Cannon County, Tennessee, in the middle of nowhere. We had a flat on our SUV, and I could not get this, the the uh, lug nut off on the side of the road. It wasn't a locking or anything. I just could not get it off. But we were like, I don't know, maybe a couple of miles from a service station. So we called my wife's sister and said, look, I can't get it off. I've beat on this thing. We're on the side of the road. I'm just going to drive it on in. Do you know somebody that can take this off? So... We got over there, and the guys couldn't take it off. <laughs> and they're like, I, I have got a torque wrench. I've done everything. Um, I want your permission. I'm going to have to cut this off and put you a new one in. So when you're taking off the nuts or putting them back on, do not over-tighten these things, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, all right, so where are we? We've gotten to a safe place. We've put out our safety measures. We've broken the nuts, and we've jacked the car up. We've went ahead and removed those nuts the rest of the way. At this point, pretty simple procedure. You pull that tire off uh, and you go grab your other tire. Now, at this point, you're probably going to know if you've jacked your car up high enough or not because you're going to have to lift this tire up. You're going to have to line those five, six, seven, maybe eight lug nuts up with the appropriate number of lugs, depending on what your vehicle is. With those, all those holes and lugs have to match up. You just lift that tire on and slide it over, assuming you've jacked it high enough. If you, because remember, that flat tire is going to slide right off because it's now smaller. When you grab that fully inflated tire, it might hit the ground. You might not have raised your car high enough. Uh, but get the, get the tire on there, and now you can start replacing your nuts. And you want to tighten these down eh, kind of tight, but again, like breaking the nuts initially... You don't want to do it so much that you're that you're yanking the car around. I'll get these nice and finger tight. Maybe just snug them just a little bit with the wrench. And then at that point, go ahead and drop the jack so the car is resting on the tire. It's not resting precariously on that unintended point of contact of the jack. It's resting on all four tires. And now, basically just do the same thing in reverse. Now you take that tire iron and you really start to... Uh, to tighten these nuts. And you want to talk about that a little bit? You mean the pot on uh, the star pattern or what? Yeah. There's a little bit of procedure to, to tighten those nuts up. Yeah. The way that I, I mean, uh, in the show notes, you've got star pattern, the way I understood it from my, and again, my dad taught me not that he's the expert, but you alternate from one side to the other. Uh, you know, like if you're facing it, I, I don't want to, you know, a lot of people will tighten the nuts in a clockwise manner or a counterclockwise manner. You really want to alternate. If you start like at the three o'clock position, you move to the nine o'clock. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So like, let's say I have a five lug wheel, which is what most passenger cars are. Sometimes you'll see four lugs, sometimes six. Most are going to be a five lug wheel. Uh, and let's just imagine drawing a five-pointed star touching each of the points of those tire or each of those lug nuts start at the top go down to the bottom right go up to the i don't know the one at nine o'clock go across the one at three o'clock basically that pulls the tire on evenly if you start at the top and reef that one all the way down and then go to the next one and reef it all the way down the tire isn't going to sit perfectly flush against the hub 
No, man, it won't. And, uh, you know, that, that's a, that's a, that one cannot be overstated. It's incredibly important. The other thing is, as you're doing the star pattern, don't tighten it all the way down. Maybe tighten it, what, three-quarters of the way down as you're moving around, even if that much, right? Yeah, so this is kind of an iterative process. You don't go to that first one and tighten it down just as tight as you can get it and then go to the next one. Like you said, three-quarters of the way, go all the way around, and then repeat the process and tighten them the rest of the way. Right on. So in a nutshell, that is changing a tire. And just real quick, uh, I want to hit a, like, we can, we have a little bit of ability to influence when we get a flat tire. Well, actually, you know what? We should probably also cover what. Well, I was going to say, yeah, once you, now you've got the old tire that's been damaged in the trunk, right? Or something like that. Yep. But you you can't leave the the spare on forever, especially with a lot of these cars that have the little donut. You got to get that thing out there. They're on, those little donuts are only good for what fifty miles or so. I think that's what they're rated at. Yeah, some something like that. Yeah. So if you have one of those little donuts, you need to drive to wherever you're going. And so in there was one situation I had with the rental car probably four or five years ago, and. Man, I was I was thirty miles away from the nearest uh, I don't know Hertz or Enterprise or Avis outlet, whatever it was, and had to drive I don't know thirty forty miles on that donut. If if you find yourself in a situation like that, not only do you have one tire to fix, now you have both tires to fix because you don't just want to get the one tire fixed and slap back on and then be without a viable spare again. Yeah, absolutely. So get somewhere and get the dunk doggone thing fixed normally like there's a place here in town that will fix them for like 20 bucks or less to repair them and and again they're not always repairable yeah i get it sometimes they're beyond repair but more often than not a little interior patch of that tire and and it's going to be good to go again yeah and and yeah if it's a sidewall problem you're not going to fix that but if it's in the tread and it's not a massive cut you can probably fix it and i I do some fairly long distance road trips, uh, sometimes just for personal, personal reasons, uh, out West in, in big sky country, do some very long road trips. I always in my car have a tire repair kit. I, I basically bought a kit from tire slime. I've used it one time and tire slime's a, a product, but it comes a little, um, a little compressor that you can reinflate your tire with. If you, it probably wouldn't work on a big truck or something, but on, on my vehicle, it will reinflate the tire. Uh, it's got a little repair kit, so I can basically re- repair that tire on the spot, pump it back up, and, and be good to go. That that might be a little bit more than most of our audience needs, but I'll put a link to the show notes or link to that in the show notes. But uh, if you're if you're doing some remote backcountry something, you probably want to have a capability like that. Right on, man. So let's talk about PM in your tires a little bit, and and real quick, keep your tire pressure. Uh, keep an eye on your tire pressure. Don't, don't just rely on, you know, every three months when you go to the, get your oil change that they're going to take care of that for you. I've been to places where they don't, I leave there with the exact same pressure I, or the exact same low tire I drove in there with, um, find out what your tires should be inflated to and keep them there. And there's a ton of benefits to this. Your tires wear more evenly. Um, you have better control of the vehicle. It's supposed to be inflated that way for a reason, because not only does it change how firm the tire is, it actually changes the shape uh, when it's inflated correctly or overinflated or underinflated. So uh, make sure that's inflated correctly. It changes the handling characteristics of the vehicle. It's better for your gas mileage to keep it. There's no good reason not to make sure your tires are inflated correctly. And a, a tire gauge 
I, I, I'm pretty sure they sell those for like 99 cents in a little bucket at the register at any auto parts store you can think of. Yeah. And one thing I will say, um, one of the things you need to be aware of, let's say you just got this car or whatever, and it's got a green valve cap on it. Are you familiar with those? Is that the, uh, nitro? Yeah. Nitrogen inflated. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so be aware that that is out there. I the last truck I owned, uh, it had green on it. I had no idea what that meant. And I took it in somewhere like, Hey, this may be something. Oh yeah. It's got nitrogen in it. I'm don't ever change those green caps. We need to know that. And there's a couple of reasons why having nitrogen is probably good. You know, it improves the steering, improves the handling, and it supposedly improves the braking. I don't know. But another thing you need to watch for is when the tires, if they're getting uneven wear, it might mean that it's out of alignment. You know, so you could have the outside walls are, are wearing thinner faster. Maybe it's because the 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 uh, car is towing in. And it's damaging those tires faster than they need to. So uh, a realignment job will probably might be a good way to, uh, you know, extend the life of your tire. Yeah, no doubt, man. And we, we will talk about this in a little bit more depth and try to get some photo examples and stuff uh, in, a, in an episode on vehicle preventive maintenance because we're Americans. We live in our cars. We rely on our cars constantly. We should know kind of what's going on with it. I, I'm, I'm kind of into the idea of, you know, man kind of being in tune with his, uh, his machine, his horse, whatever the kid, whatever metaphor works for you. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in, I really like the mindset of being in tune with that, understanding what's going on with it. What's, what's normal, what's not normal and all that stuff. So yeah, your, your tires wear, uh, it's air pressure and also the tread depth and like the, the old trick that I've always heard is take a penny and put Abe Lincoln's head into the depth. And if, if his, basically the top of his head doesn't disappear into that tread, it's, it's too shallow. You shouldn't be driving around on tires that, that are that worn. Um, all kinds of risks from that vehicle handling, you're more likely to have a blowout and all, all this other stuff. Tires are expensive. It's a pain in the butt to, bring your car in, leave it for four hours while they basically dick around for three and a half hours and then throw your tires on in the last 30 minutes. But it's something you should do. Well, it is something you should do, but a lot of our listeners are probably listening right now going, I don't Justin Rich, I don't even have a penny in my pocket. I, I use, you know, plastic and all this other stuff. It, that's okay. The tire manufacturers, they got you covered because they have the um, the wear indicators, right, on the inside of the tread. You want to talk about that? Oh, you, you hit that, man. Okay, well, one of the things is when you look at the tire, if you look down in between the, the treads, normally on the outside of tread toward the edge, you'll, you'll see these little raised bumps about every foot or so. And what that little raised bump on the inside of the tread is telling you, when the tread depth gets down to where that is even with the rest of the tread, it's, it's getting time to change your tires. So if you don't have a penny, like Justin said, understand where those wear indicators, lines are, bars, whatever you call them, and uh, learn where they are. And when the tread gets down there, man, it's time to start shopping around for new tires. Yeah, because you're going to, yeah, especially in any kind of inclement weather, you're going to lose all kind of, of handling. Probably you won't need it because most days we don't need it, even even when it's raining out or whatever. But when you need it, you really, really need it. And this is life support equipment. Yeah, I mean, basically... Your vehicle rides on four 
patches of rubber that are about four inches by four inches big. Like it's sitting on about 16 square inches of real estate. And we're talking thousands of pounds of machine moving on that, moving on those tires. Um, so anyhow, uh, again, we'll hit this more in the, um, in the vehicle preventive maintenance episode. Let's talk about, uh, upgrading this, uh, this basic tire changing equipment. How, how do you feel about that rich necessary, unnecessary, I've never really done any of this. I mean, now here at my house and my garage, you know, I've got all this upgraded stuff. So I don't, but I don't know that I've ever done that for the equipment in my car, man. Is this something I, you think I should do or what? Uh, I, don't, I don't know, man. I, I, I think it kind of depends. So I have kind of had to do it out of necessity. As you know, I'm kind of broke. I don't have a lot of money. So I buy a lot of old piece of crap cars and, um, I, I have actually bought a couple of vehicles that had zero tire changing equipment in them at all, except a spare tire mounted up under the vehicle. So basically I went and bought myself a, I don't know, like a 12 ton bottle jack, uh, which be honest with you, I would take over one of those cheap scissor jacks any day of the week. It's a, it's a, just a superior jack in my opinion. Um, I bought one of those. I bought a good four, I don't know, what do you call this? Four directional tire irons. Mm-hmm. And basically, I've just moved those things around vehicle to vehicle to vehicle. I'll, I'll, when I get a new car, I'll pull that piece of crap scissor jack out and uh, set it somewhere. So when I sell that car, I can sell it with it. But um, yeah, I, I not strictly necessary with maybe a couple of caveats. If you live kind of in a remote area um, where you might have to change a tire on uneven ground or um, you have an exceptionally high propensity for flat tire, you're a roofer, for instance, and you're getting flat tires all the time. It might just make it easier to have better stuff than the, than the default factory stuff. Or if you're the type of person that drives, uh, a, like a jacked up vehicle, that standard jack probably is not going to lift your, lift your car. It's just not going to have the reach, uh, because you've modified it from factory height. So in that case, you might want to think about something that have a high lift jack or something along those lines. Yeah, I had one for for my Jeep, and I tell you, because it was you know pretty jacked up, and you you definitely have to have something like that to uh, to lift that thing up. But what do you, what about what's some of the other stuff that you think we should have with us? I know you got some stuff here in the notes. What do you think? So fix a flat has been a thing for a long time. If you ever used a can of fix a flat, let me tell you about my love affair with fix a flat. I don't know where you're going with this, but I'll tell you, that same old Jeep, I, I had it when I was an instructor um, at Camp Lejeune, and because I was always going down the tank trails in that thing, I was constantly getting flats, and I would just put a can of fix-a-flat in it, and, and by the time I got, uh, I needed new tires, all four of those tires were literally solid with fix-a-flat. And, and, you know, but that, the thing about that is you got to make sure you tell those guys when they're going to go changing it, that it's full of fix a flat. Cause as I understand it, there's some danger associated with, with how they, uh, take the tire off the rim. Right. Uh, I, yeah, I, I believe so. Um, yeah, you definitely want to let them know that there's fix a flat in there. So in, in case you don't know, fix a flat is basically a little aerosol can with a, you know, instead of where the spray nozzle would be, there's a little rubber hose that fits over your valve stem, the little thing that you put air into your tire with. And basically it blows some sort of sealant in there and some compressed, it contains some air that it also forces into the tire and reinflates the tire. 
how many cans of fixed flat does it take to reinflate a tire? Because here in a second, I'll tell you my one sole fix a flat story. I think it depends on the size of the tire. Like I had some pretty big tires on mine, so I, it might have needed, you know, one or two cans. But I'll tell you, if you follow the recommendations, you know, it'll tell you you've got to drive down a hardball surface for so far, you know, maybe a mile or two so that it's evenly distributed on the inside of the tire and then air it up completely when you get where you're going, whatever. I don't know. It's been years since I used it, but I've used it on several vehicles Probably abused it would be a better word because I, I kept it in there a lot longer than you're supposed to. But, um, man, I I just I love the stuff. So the one time I've had to use that was in a rental car. I was I was up in Maryland. This is back when I was in the military. I was, I was in Maryland going to uh, attending a course up there. Left. Uh, actually, the course hadn't even started. I, I drove by the place uh, the afternoon before it started just to make sure I could find it the next morning. Uh, got out of my car, walked around. It's in a big office park. Walk, you know, walked around to get my bearings. Got back to my car, and saw the uh, the rear driver side tire was just completely flat. I don't know what happened, but uh, I I was in a rental, didn't have anything, and there was a can of fix a flat already in there. And I was like, man, this is just my lucky day. Uh, and I put I popped that thing on the valve stem, started you know following the directions, and man, this liquid fix a flat just started running out of this massive hole in the tire and i was like well that's i don't think that's gonna do it for me so (laughs) i threw the spare on there and went and changed out my rental car but um the other product have you ever used tire slime i have and uh it's it's green and i have some in my garage and i've used it on um my my farm tractor and some other things here on the farm I don't like it as much as I do the the fix a flat, but my dad swears by it, and we've had some success with it, but not one hundred percent. What about you? I really like it, and I like it for. Uh, I, I've also used this exactly one time, and it worked. Now, my fix a flat example, nothing would have worked on that because the the tear was just too big. But um, I, I've I have used tire slime successfully one time, and here's the reason I like it. It has nothing to do with performance from what you say, fix a flat is just as good. I like it because it's not in an aerosol can and I can basically leave a bottle of it in my car pretty much forever without having to worry about it getting hot and the aerosol can rupturing or, or something along those lines. It's just in a plastic squeeze bottle. Um, so I, I, I appreciate that. Now it won't reinflate your tire, which is why I bought that whole kit with the little air compressor in that, uh, in that, in it. Um, and I, there's some peace of mind just in knowing that things in the back of my car, should I need it? Well, on the fix-a-flat, those Jeep tires that I was telling you about, those things had so much fix-a-flat in it, they had picked up so many nails. I remember when one of the guys took took the uh, tire off, he's like, let me show you something. And I think he and I counted, it was 18 or 19 different nails that were in this thing, and yet it was still fully inflated going down the road. So, um, well, I, I might have to revisit fix a flat then. I, what, what, what is your take on just keeping that in, in the trunk of your car? I, I have always been worried maybe groundlessly, but I've always been worried that, you know, hot summer day with that thing, just baking in the sun, there might be a problem, but maybe not. I would have to read the can to, to tell you whether it's safe or not. But I mean, I've, I've never heard of one of those things blowing up. I've never heard of an aerosol can period blowing up in somebody's car, but it, it doesn't sound like it's not an unfounded concern. I just don't know that uh, 
that that's something we really need to, you know, if it's one of those cost benefit things, you know, is the benefit of carrying around fix a flat worth it, worth the risk of it potentially maybe someday blowing up if your car gets in excess of 190 degrees? I don't know. Well, yeah, I guess that depends on what the, what the risk actually is, what the, you know, potential for that happening. Yeah. Good thing to look into and, and understand, but so far, man, I've had great, great results with tire slime and this is not a thing we're going to get into in that same tire slime kit. I have just a regular old tire repair kit with the two little plungers, the one you like, uh, you know, kind of, uh, auger out the hole with, and then the, you know, the other one that you thread that piece of rubber through and cut it off, um, with that tire, with that, uh, air compressor, I can just repair that tire on the side of the road if I really, really need to. And that's, that adds basically nothing to my kit because that stuff takes up hardly any space at all. It weighs next to nothing. And am I going to need it? Almost certainly not. But, uh, again, I do some, I, I do some pretty, uh, I do a lot of long distance driving and I do a lot of kind of remote road trips. It's kind of one of my vacation hobbies is, uh, is do a big trip through the West or, or something like that. So I just like having that capability. Yeah. I think you're foolish not to have it. You know, uh, the, you know, this country, forget being in the Negev desert or any of the places that you and I have been, what happens if it happens and you're in the middle of Arizona? I mean, you're, you could be in trouble quick. So I think all these things, and and I've had limited success with the with the kit that you're talking about, where you auger out the hole a little bit, then you thread in that you know that black tar like patch, and you push it through, and you cut it off and fill it up. Sometimes those work for me. Sometimes they don't. You know, maybe if you even if you had to augment that with some slime or what have you. But the time to prepare isn't the you know the time when it's time to perform the time to prepare is over that's what i'm trying to say and if if you don't have this stuff with you when your car breaks down in the middle of nowhere you're at you're you're in trouble absolutely and even if you're a city dweller that you just drive back and forth to work every day and the last road trip you did was 40 minutes across town to to go see a show or something even then you should be able to take care of yourself and you probably don't need tire repair stuff. You probably don't need an air compressor in your car, but you do need to know how to change a tire because there will probably be a time and and hopefully it doesn't happen to you, but there's probably a time when AAA can't just can't get to you or can't for hours. So take care of yourself. That's, that's a well said, my friend, take care of yourself, man, prepare, like you said, we we all we're all in a vehicle almost every single day, if not hours of every single day, and our vehicle hurtling down the interstate is only on those four small patches of rubber. Take care of your tires, man. They'll keep you alive. All right, brother. We ready to wrap this one up? Yeah, brother. T- tell them where they can find out more, man. You can find out more about us at acrossthepeak.com. You can find the show notes for this episode at acrossthepeak.com forward slash E006. Uh, There's all types of content there. We are in the process of generating blog posts for you guys and videos and and all this other content. So make sure you check out the website. Rich, where can they get in touch with us? If you want to get in touch with us, you can uh, email me, rich at acrossthepeak.com or justin at acrossthepeak.com. Or through the contact page on the website. The thing you need to remember is acrossthepeak.com. And with that being said, my man, be safe. And if you can't be safe, be deadly, right? I love it, man. 
You've been listening to the Across the Peak podcast. Be sure to visit acrossthepeak.com for show notes and bonus content. Until then, be safe. And if you can't be safe, be dangerous. Be dangerous.